This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Well, good morning, Celebration Church, all of our campuses. Can we all stand up together? Good to have everyone here at Celebration. Uh, here in Green Bay, would you put your hands together? Let's welcome our other campuses in Appleton and Stevens Point today. Welcome, guys. Good to have you. You are our church family. Good to have you with us. Uh, let's all join together. Let's uh, say this. This is who we are. This is what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, good to have each and every one of you here with us today. My name is Bob, one of the pastors at Celebration Church. Good to have all of you joining us, looking right into the camera. Great to have you here at Celebration Church at all of your locations here today. Uh, just quickly, we're about to hear from Pastor Mark before I do that. Uh, you probably heard it from your campus pastor, but we are starting a brand new series in October called You Asked For It. And so there is a survey that you received inside your worship guide here this morning. We would love to hear what it is that you want to know about. And that series will start in October. And this will be a great season uh, to invite someone to come to Celebration Church. You know, there's certain sermons, there's certain topics where, you know what, it's a great one for the people in your life to hear. This is going to be one of those. If you want to know about it, trust me, the people in your life want to know about it. And this is a season where people are starting to come back to church, kids are going to school, schedules are getting regular. So take advantage of that and ask someone to join you at church starting this October. They'll love it. So uh, this morning, we're about to hear from Pastor Mark, so let's all join him right now. Good morning, Celebration Church. Today, I am pre-recording my message as we are continuing our series, wrapping up our series on the significant events of the Old Testament, focusing on the life of David and casting forth a new vision uh, for our church, kind of new emphasis, uh, broken down into four concepts. Number one, we want people to know God. Number two, we want them to find freedom, experience freedom. Number three, we want them to discover their purpose. And number four, show them how they can make a difference. That's just what drives us, uh, who we are, and what we do here at Celebration Church. Now, people often ask me, you know, is it hard to get up in front of a group of people and speak? Uh, for me, no, it's not. It's much harder to get up in front of an empty room <laughs> and pre-record my message when nobody's sitting there listening to me. That's a much greater challenge. Uh, in fact, 
I don't know why it is, but the larger the crowd as I travel around the world, the easier it is for me to talk. They tell me there's three, four, five, six, eight thousand people out there. I am the most relaxed, confident guy on earth. When they tell me there's 40 people there, I'm a wreck because the smaller the crowd, uh, the harder it is for me <laughs> to play off the crowd and, and, and really communicate well to them. And you can imagine when I'm speaking to you now, uh, actually there's nobody in front of me, but I know you'll be able to see this, so I'm picturing you all in my mind over in Stevens Point and Appleton and here at Green Bay uh, this morning. So uh, we want to take a look at uh, the life of King David as we wrap up the significant events of the Old Testament and then take a look at this idea today about what it means to discover purpose. We talked a couple of weeks, about, weeks ago about knowing God, the importance of knowing God, not just knowing about him, but to truly know him is very powerful and very important. And one of the main reasons that we share the gospel in our services every week is so that people can come to know God. Secondly, last week we talked about finding freedom. What does it mean? You can come to Christ in faith, but still be bound all up and unable to function and experience little to no freedom. Um, and we want you to experience full freedom. And that's why we have our small group program to help people get involved in freedom. And today I'm going to be talking about uh, discovering purpose. Now, my intention originally was to spend one weekend with each four of these. This one, for me, is more complicated. I want to take a little bit more time. So I'm breaking this up into two, okay? We're going to do part A this Sunday, and when I come back uh, next Sunday, I'll wrap up the uh, second part of what it means to discover your purpose. All right, so now we're going to pick up looking at King David as we're wrapping this up uh, and using this to talk about our next point about discovering purpose. So we're going to pick up uh, in the... <clears throat> 1 Samuel, the 18th chapter. Now, last week, we talked about David's freedom and how when he was bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, he was dancing before the Lord and how we got his wife, Michael, had criticized him. And I misspoke. I said, uh, Michael was given to her as a reward for him killing uh, Goliath. That's not exactly the way it worked out. I went back work, looking over this, getting ready for today's message. And I went, oh, I got it a little bit wrong. I'll show you exactly how it worked out. So Saul says to David, now this is right after he had killed Goliath. Saul says to David, here is my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battles for the Lord. So he's giving, not Michael, but uh, Merib is who is offered to David for his reward for killing Goliath, because that was part of the incentive to, uh, to defeat this uh, enemy of Israel. Uh, but Paul, Saul, not Paul, Saul, had a very bad motive in his heart. At this point, he already hates David and feels threatened by David because the people love him. He's this rock star, although David doesn't see this in that light. We'll see in just a minute. Uh, but Saul feels threatened because he's so popular for having killed this big guy called Goliath. So Saul says to himself, I will not raise a hand against them. I'll let the Philistines uh, do that. So his idea was he's given uh, Merib to him to fulfill the promise, the reward. And, and then he says, I just want you to you know, just fight for me. Because what he's thinking is, I'm not going to kill him. He'll go fight for me and the Philistines will kill him. So Saul's already off in a really bad uh, foot with David here. But David, even though he knew about the reward to get a Merib, the, the girl, the cute girl, for his wife, uh, didn't feel worthy to take her. So what David says to Saul, says, who am I 
And what is my family or my clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? Look, I know that was a reward. I know, but look, I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. Saul's not picking up on the humility of David's heart. He just knows the people really like him and feels threatened by him. David has no intention of overtaking Saul in any way, shape, or form. He doesn't even feel worthy enough to take him up on his offer and become the king's son-in-law. So he turns, turns, uh, turns her down, him down, whatever, how you want to put it. So the next verse says, so when the time came for Merib, Saul's daughter, to be given to David, instead she was given in marriage to Adriel of Mehola or whatever. So that was that for Merib. Merib gets promised off to somebody else instead. And David is just quietly minding his own business. Well, we read in the next verse, now David saw Michal was in love with David. So this is where Michael comes in. She's in love with the boy. Ah, all pittered out and pitter-pattered in her heart because David is this cute guy. He's a redhead, by the way. The Bible points out that he had red hair. And um, he's this, you know, guy who killed Goliath. All the girls are in love with David. David doesn't get it, but she's part of this thing. Of course, later, she becomes critical and David quits having anything to do with her as we read last week. But at this point, she's all pitter-pattered all over David. So, uh, um, where am I? Da, 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 da. So Saul's daughter, Michael, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. Yes, okay. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him, so that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. And in other words, Saul says, okay, here's another chance. I will use this opportunity to find a way to kill David. And, we'll, and his plan is still to have the Philistines do it. So Saul says to David, now you have a second opportunity to become my son-in-law. Come on, come on. And David's still hesitant. So the next verse, it says, Saul ordered his attendants. Look, go talk to David privately. Say, look, the king likes you. His attendants all love you. Everybody loves you. Everybody loves you. So become his son-in-law. And they repeated these words to David. But David, again, from a point of humility, says, do you think it's a small matter to become the king's son-in-law? I'm only a poor man and little known. Little known? The dude's a rock star at this point. Everybody knows who he is because of what he did to Goliath. But he was humble in his own heart, in his own mind. He wasn't arrogant. He was no threat to the king. Nonetheless, Saul feels very threatened by him. So when Saul's servants told uh, Saul what David had said, Saul replied, well, say to David, the king wants no other price for for the bride than a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemy. So Saul's plan was to have David fall by the hands of the Philistines. So, so this is what he says. Well, tell him, look, you know, you may not be worthy, but all, the, all Saul's asking for is for a hundred of the Philistine, of Philistine foreskins. I know this is gross. Suck it up. It's the Bible. It's the way things used to be. Foreskin is what is cut off during circumcision. When you cut off the end of a man's willy, the foreskins left over. So when he says, all I want is a hundred foreskins, he didn't really want foreskins. It was just their, the way of claiming a life in battle. Uh, you know, kind of like uh, some tribes, American Indian tribes back in the day would scalp somebody, you know, when they would kill them or whatever like that. So instead of, I want the scalps, he says, I want their foreskins. Pretty gross. So he's basically saying to David, look, go kill a hundred guys and you can have her. So he's appealing to David's uh, youth, 
you know, I can do anything. I'm a man. He gives him a challenge. I double dog dare you. Go kill these guys. Because Saul's convinced. He goes, tries to kill a hundred guys. He's toast. Nobody's going to go kill a hundred guys and come back alive. So anyway, um, when David's, when the, when the attendants told David these things, then he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. So he's thinking, all right, I'm a man. I can go do this. So before the allotted time elapsed, there was a window here. David took his men. He had some buddies of his and took them with him. And they went out and killed 200 Philistines and brought back their foreskins. Gross, right? Well, they counted out the full number to the king. I don't know whose job that was. <laughs> One, two, three, four, five. Well, they counted out 200, again, very gross, foreskins and to the full number of the king so that David might become the king's son-in-law. And then Saul gave David his daughter, Michael, in marriage. Okay, so what does this have to do? I want to talk a little bit about what is your purpose? Uh, the one thing about David, um, he was an incredible scrappy warrior. See, a lot of people think, well, the thing with David and Goliath was that just David knew how to handle a sling. But it was more than that. The guy was a scrapper. This young punk, remember, he's the one. Uh, he said he, he killed the lion and the bear. And it wasn't that the lion and the bear came and threatened David. It was that the lion or the bear, whatever, had grabbed one of the sheep and started going off with it. And David went after them. I'm telling you, I'm watching a bunch of sheep. Some lion comes and takes one. I say, have a nice, have a nice snack. <laughs> Hope you enjoy it. You know, I'm not going after it. He went after the lion. And killed it. And he went after the bear, knocked it in the head so it had dropped the, the sheep or whatever. And then he kills it. So this kid is more than just a guy who knows how to use a sling. He is a scrapper. He is a tough, tough young man. And when given the opportunity to go after these guys, he says, sure, I'll go get 100 of them. He winds up getting 200 of them because that's what he did. He was an incredible. And I, at some point, we'll come back. I'd love to do a whole series just on the life of David. It would take much longer than this, and we're just picking out a few highlights here. His life was amazing, and he was a wrecking machine. This guy was a man's man. This young guy, I mean, we assume he was 17, maybe now he's 18, 19. I don't know what the time frame is at this point. It's not saying, but he's a young man in his prime. He is a tough dude. And as you read through the life of David, the stuff he did was stunning was amazing. He was a warrior's warrior. The stuff he would do, the opportunities he would take, <laughs> climbing up the side of hills to go kill a bunch of guys. I mean, he was tough. He was in battle after. He wasn't one of these guys who sent his men into battle. He was at the front lines going in and taking this stuff. Uh, he had some of the greatest fighting men ever that would be drawn to him and went and fought with him. They talk about David's mighty men. We don't have time to get into this at this time of this series, but uh, hope to come back to it. But it's stunning, uh, the kind of warrior that he was. Now, you would think that this really means David was a warrior. This was, in essence, who he was. This was his purpose. This was what he was all about. But in fact, a lot of people don't even think in terms of David being a warrior. It's not on until we start doing a series like this or start looking into it and I start pointing out. People are often, wow, I, I thought he just killed Goliath. Goliath, man, he took out so many guys. In fact, he had killed so many men in battle that when it came time to build the temple, you know, the great, as we call it, Solomon's temple, the reason it's Solomon's temple because God wouldn't let David build it 
because he said, you're a man of blood. You've killed so many guys. Let your son do it, you know? I mean, he had so much blood. Cause, and it was all legitimate, except for in one situation, which we won't get into right now. But uh, he was such a warrior. He was a killing machine. But it's not what defined him. It didn't define. When you think about David, you think of him as being a king, as being a leader, as being uh, a man with great spiritual insights. He was a musician. He played the harp. He prophesied. He, he wrote the Psalms, these incredible things that we, uh, poems that we read to this day to encourage people to, you know, you going through a hard time. If you're struggling at all in your life, chances are if you're going to the scriptures, at some point you're going to be reading the Psalms. These are powerful, powerful things. Uh, he was a man after God's own heart. This is what we think of David. So how do we get there? How does the guy spend most of his time being a warrior, but not thought about as being a warrior, but rather being something totally different? And that's because what David did did not define who he was. All right? Now, this is about my whole point today, is trying to point out what this is about. Now, in this growth track that we have at uh, all our campuses at Celebration Church, obviously we have our services, we have our small group things to get people to know God, to experience freedom. Uh, but then this growth track, what that's, this is about is a series of classes that we have to help focus in on your skills and your abilities and show what it is that you can do in terms of purpose uh, for, for hands-on work. But the reason I'm splitting it, I want to really save that part of it till next week. Because I want to set the stage. At some point, even though we talk about our purpose, you know, what, what can I do in the church? How can I get involved? That is important. But more importantly, not to fall into the trap of thinking, I am what I do. What you do does not define you. Should you do things? Should you use your talents and abilities? Yes. You say, well, I don't know what they are. That's what the growth track is for. That's what we're going to help you discover. But this isn't what defines you. What you do does not define you. Now, if you look at, up at purpose in the dictionary, it says purpose is the aim or goal of a person, what a person is trying to do and become and stuff. And that's typically what people think about it. But... Uh, what if God is more interested in who we are and what kind of a person that we are than in what we do? All right? Uh, now, I heard this <laughs> Pastor Bob over at our campus in Stevens Point <laughs> gave this quote to me from, from one of the Batman movies. I think it was the first Batman, Christian Bale, Batman, whatever. And at some point in his cool Batman voice, he says, it's not who you are on the inside, but what you do that defines you. You know, because Batman was a butt-kicking doer, kind of like David. Uh, but his phrase, it's not who you are on the inside, but what you do that defines you, in that context of you're going to go kick some butt, I suppose that's true, but Batman gets it wrong. <laughs> it is who we are on the inside that defines us, and not what we do. Great for a Batman movie, but not, you know, especially when challenging men to get out there and, and sacrifice and go to battle. Uh, you know, if I'm going to lead a bunch of men in battle, I'm not going to emphasize who they are on the inside. <laughs> I'm going to emphasize how good of a fighter they are. So in that context, it's fine. But in the context of life, and certainly in spiritual life, this is wrong. It is who we are on the inside. Much more that defines us in what we do. Okay? Because sometimes people get caught up into this. Is what you do really what defines you? There's people who, who think like this. There's moms, and, and maybe some of you listening to me right now. 
You're a mom and you're a super mom and you love being a mom and you're the best mom in the neighborhood and all the other moms envy you because you're the coolest mom that ever was and you do this and you got your kids involved in 47,000 different things, which is a problem, I think. But anyway, you're, you're totally into the whole mom thing. You're the best mom ever. And it defines you. And this is where you get your value and your sense of being from. And uh, the problem with that is at some point, those little rascals grow up and they move away. Most of us, when they move away, say, thank you, God. They're gone, all right? But when you're the super mom and you define yourself as a mom, when they go, you are a wreck. You are a mess. Some of you listening to me right now, maybe you're already there. Your kids have left on and you don't know how to function anymore. Your whole purpose. Uh, a lot of people's marriages fall apart at this point because the woman becomes a wreck. She has no value. She, has no, she doesn't realize who, you know, her whole point of existence was being a mom. And now she's not a mom anymore and, and she can't function anymore. Look, I think it's great that you're a great mom and I think you should be the best mom you should be, but you should not let that define you. Being a mom, what you do is not who you are. It's just, sweetheart, what you do right now. And that's temporary. It's a 20-year job. It comes to an end. All right? Most of us, thank God. You know, there's a lot of people. I remember when, when our kids finally left the house, you know, some of these other moms who'd been through this came and said, you know, is, is it really hard for you to adjust your kids being gone? No! <laughs> thank God! Free at last! Free at last! Thank God Almighty I'm free at last. Ironically, they all came back at some point for a while and eh, we love our kids and if they had to come back, move in tomorrow, we'd let them move in. But, you know, we were thrilled when they were gone. That wasn't what defined us. I was a dad, but that's not what defined us. Is what you, you do as a mom? What, what if you're a business owner? Well, I am a business. Who I am is what makes me who I am and what drives me every morning and why I work and why I sacrifice and I'm smart and I do all the studying. Well, what happens if your business fails? You know, most businesses fail. Kind of discouraging for those of you who are thinking about starting a business, but that's the spirit of being an entrepreneur. They're willing to go out there and take risks. The reason they call it risks is because most people fail. You know, what do you do with that failure? Some people, when they do a business thing one time and they fail, they're crushed, they're defeated, they're destroyed. They can't function anymore, you know, you know, because everything was, you know, their whole life was defined in that. Well, first of all, if you're a true entrepreneur, you need to get ready to fail multiple times. Some of the most successful, richest people in the world, even our current president, they gave him a static about it, you know. Well, he, he filed for bankruptcy once in his, you know, because that's, that's the world's thinking. Well, why? Yeah, you, know, you failed once. So what? Most business people fail multiple times. I got a chance to meet one of the richest men in the world. He's from Australia. I think he was the richest guy at, at the time in Australia. That stuff always changes. Uh, his story, he'd gone bankrupt, I forget what it was, three, four, five times. You know, and I got to tell you, if I'm an investor and you come to me to invest in your next project and you've bankrupted people <laughs> five times, I ain't giving you a dime. I don't know how these guys keep going, but they did, he did, and became successful and became one of the wealthiest men in the world. And certainly at the time that I met him was the wealthiest man in his country. Uh, you know, but... You know, if, if your business defines you, what happens if that fails? Uh, what happens if you lose your job? So, well, you know what I am? Who are you? Well, my purpose, I'm a mechanic, man. I love being a mechanic. I'm all about, what happens if you lose that? What if you get sick and you can't do it anymore? Listen, this is real life stuff. There's people, some of you right now, I might be talking directly to you. Your life is a wreck because whatever it was that you did, you can't do anymore. And now you feel you have no value. But you've made a terrible mistake. And a lot of people make it. 
And that is they let what they do define them. So in our growth track, and I'm going to talk about it next week, about what to do. But it can't be about that. We'll show you ideas and how to type into your talents and how you can do and get involved in the kingdom of God so that ultimately you can make a difference, which is our final point. But it's not about what you do that defines you. It can't be. Um, you know, a lot of people, young people, they're, they're focused on their futures uh, right now. Got a lovely young lady running right the camera right now <laughs> who's focusing on her future. What is she going to do? Uh, what am I going to do with my life? And that's good. You know, but did you know, and this is not to depress her <laughs> or the other young people, do you know that only 20% of graduates actually use their degrees in their employment? That means three quarters of the people who go to college, who go to school, who study pre air eventually don't do anything that has to do what they went to school for. Three quarters. Which, what does that mean? It means be careful, particularly if you're looking at spending a lot of money. All right? Be careful with the student debt things. When only three, that means three quarters of the people who went and got college degrees, and a lot of them with college debt today, are doing jobs that has nothing to do with what they went to school for, and now they've got $100,000 plus that they are paying off for the next 20, 30 years of their life. $1,000 a month payment. When you're starting out in life, $1,000 a month payment is a big payment. And some of you have been, you're not just starting out, it would be a big payment today. $1,000 a month to work. So, I'm not trying to discourage you, I'm just saying, Whoa, think it through. Okay, be careful. My advice, really make sure you know what you're doing. If you don't, there's a lot of kids that are going to college. They don't know what they're going to do at all. But yet they're burning through all kinds of money. They're burning through their parents' money. Yeah, if the parents don't care, that's, that's their money. Do whatever you want. But if it's your money and you're borrowing money from them, man, don't be going to school. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know what my major is yet and burning through. Man, if you're going to do that, go to a local school and stay close to home and live with your parents and you know, be careful. Why? Why? Because three quarters of the people who go and spend all that time and money don't even end up doing what they went to school for in the first place. You want to be smart. I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm just trying to have you think. Make no mistake. What we do is important. But what is more important is what kind of a person are we are. Uh, the Bible spends very little time on what we should do with our skills. A lot of people say, I want to know the will of God, Pastor. How should I know the will of God? And, and they're looking, you know, well, do I get a job at Burger King? Do I get it at McDonald's? You know, do I go for this company or that company? Should I be a doctor, lawyer, or a baker, or whatever? The Bible doesn't tell you a whole lot about that stuff. Because of the truth of the matter, most of it is about what kind of person you are. That's what the Bible spends its time on. Not so much on what we should be doing with our skills, but what we should be doing because of what Christ has done inside of us. As Christians, we need to realize that God is more focused on who we are, the kind of people we are, not so much about the skills, which it sounds contradictory. Next week, we're going to talk about how to use your skills. Okay, we all have skills. Our mistake as Americans is we can get too focused on our skills and think that our skills define us, and it does not, and it should not. All right, any more than David was, he wasn't defined by being a great warrior. He was defined by a whole lot of other stuff, which is great. A man, God, a man after God's own heart, a great leader, a great prophet, a great minister, a great writer. Uh, when in point of fact, most of what he did was fighting. But that's not what defined him. Let's look in, in closing here, just real quick, in, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Paul hits on some basic stuff. This is the kind of stuff the New Testament talks a lot about, more than what to do with your skills. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put your old self off, put off your old self. This is before you knew Jesus. 
that old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In other words, don't lie. Next, he says, in your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't let the devil get a foothold. In other words, watch your anger. Don't lose control when you get mad. All right? That's what he's encouraging. Anyone who's been stealing shouldn't steal anymore. Stop stealing. You know, he's just talking about basic stuff. The Bible is more focused on who we are. And in fact, when he talks about the stealing, he says, instead, work. Doing something useful with your own hands. Something useful. That's kind of the Bible's version, the New Testament's version of what should you do? What business should you work on? I don't know, do something. Do something useful. It's like, it's like he doesn't care. Do what you want to do. If God has a special plan, we'll talk more about it next week. God's a big boy. He'll tell you. In the meanwhile, unless you've gotten real clear direction from God, just what, do something useful. Work with your own hands uh, that you can share with those in need. So you don't need to be stealing. In other words, do something useful. Take care of yourself. Pay your own bills. And have enough left over so you can help other people. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ, as in Christ God forgave you. And that's just one part of the fourth chapter of Ephesians. You go on, chapter five, chapter six, other epistles, on and on. When they focus on Christian living and what you should be doing, it's more about who you are, your character on the inside. Having said that, we will try, and our, and our whole point of this next track, this growth track, is to help you discover your skills and abilities. I, and I'll, again, I'll pick up on this next week. I just want us to be careful. Don't let what you do define you. God defines you. Your value should come from Christ. He loved you. He gave himself. He went to the cross and died on that cross to give you value. God paid a whole lot for you. He sacrificed his very self for you. He loves you and cares about you. And it's separate from what you do. It's separate from what you do for a living, where you work, whatever skills and abilities you have. All that's good. And, and, and we're going to show you how you can use that for the kingdom of God so eventually you can really make a difference in other people's lives. But when we talk about purpose, it has to be rooted in my purpose is to honor and glorify God. I want to be the right kind of person I can be so that God can use my abilities because my talents and my abilities, what I do with my hands does not define me. Okay? Who I am, who God says I am, that is what defines me. All right, so I'm going to invite our campus pastors to uh, take over at this point uh, and uh, go into a time of communion and a type of, of prayer, give people an opportunity to surrender their lives so they can get to know God. And then next week, I'll pick up on this and take a little, a, a, a stronger look uh, in how you can use your skills and your abilities to advance the kingdom of God. We'll see you next week. <clears throat>